Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Today on the pod, we'll have complete coverage as Canada marks Remembrance Day to honor the bravery and sacrifice of those who gave their lives for our nation. Plus, is it time to end the squabbling and just hold a referendum on policing in Surrey? And long lineups and plenty of patience. From Herschel to Eritzia, what is Vancouver's fascination with warehouse sales? That's all next on the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Well, Remembrance Day is an opportunity, of course, to honour the sacrifices of past and present Canadian Armed Forces members. It also provides an opportunity to highlight efforts to ensure their meaningful employment after they leave the military. Now, the transition from military to civilian life is a struggle for many veterans. One such program that helps is Coding for Veterans. Coding for Veterans helps Canada's military veterans to retrain and reskill for jobs in Canada's tech sector. Joining me now to discuss the program is Chris Williams. Chris is a BC resident and veteran participating in Coding for Veterans. Chris, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's touch a little bit about uh, your background before we get into uh, coding. Uh, I understand you were in the Canadian Navy and served for many years. Yes, I'm a retired master seaman with Royal Canadian Navy. Um, and uh, in your time, and how many years were you in the Navy? Uh, well, I was in the Navy from 2001 to 2014, so just, just over 13 years. 13 years. And how did you um, get involved with this program? I was actually referred by another veteran who was in the program. Mm-hmm. And what exactly enticed you about coding? They said, you know what, I, I'd like to give that a try. Well, in all honesty, coding is not my forte, as I imagine most people can relate to. Um, but uh, coding for veterans actually has a couple of different streams, one of them being like a software developer where you're a hard code or hardcore programmer, sorry. And uh, then another route is the cybersecurity route. And that actually played very well with what I used to do with the Navy. How daunting was it to take that first class, to go to that first class? Um, (laughs) Well, I'm almost 40 years old, so going back to school uh, in any capacity is a little bit of a... uh, It's getting you out of your comfort zone for sure. Um, but I managed to sit back and look at what I'm trying to consume, and it seems to be going fairly well so far. Mm-hmm. And how long is your program? Uh, the program, as they have it outlined, they say you can do it within eight to nine months, but it's been my experience that uh, I'm currently in month 10, um, so n- not so much. Uh, I imagine with... Some dedication and whatnot, you might be able to get nine months, but for myself, it'll be about a year. And what was the motivation for you after your years in um, the Navy? And I find generally, uh, having been around a lot of veterans, I've, I've traveled a lot to Afghanistan in my early days as a reporter, and uh, you know, all, the, the folks that I meet in the military are always very smart, very practical and pragmatic, and, and have all the skills that would make them a success in the private sector. Uh, in, in whatever capacity, in whatever they do. Um, for you, uh, where would you like to take this, um, this course that you're taking, the knowledge that you're gaining? What would, what, would you, what would be the perfect job for you? Honestly, I think that if I could find a way to meld 
my previous experience with the military. I come from an above water warfare background as a NESOP and pair it with my new cyber skills that I'm learning. I think that would be a very good thing for me because I have the practical understanding and knowledge of how warfare tactics work. So to be in a space where cyber warfare was the main goal would be an outstanding fit for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think we as a society do enough uh, in regards to um, helping our veterans transition away from time in the force into the private sector? Well, I I can't really speak to that, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very loaded question you left there, sir. Um, It's a broad question anyway, because, uh, I mean, I think people would have different perspectives. Others, some may, may, would say, look, we don't do enough. Some would say, you know, I've been fortunate. I mean, in your personal case, do you think the transition that you're going through right now is, is exactly the right speed it should be at? If I was in my own experience. Um, I would say no, uh, in all honesty. We, we could do more, we could do better uh, on a whole. Mm-hmm. And to anybody kind of say, oh, we do more, or and we got a bunch of people who are kind of stuck in a system uh, versus what we currently do, I'd kind of say just like turn your gaze to the south and see how it works down there. They have the programs, assets, and abilities to go forward with veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, so from my perspective, I think we could do more to aid that transition. And there, there's little things there that aren't really taken into account by your everyday person. Like being myself, I have 13 years experience, but I don't have any kind of recognized credential outside of the military. Mm-hmm. It leaves you in a unique position. Um, when you talk about they do it a little bit better in the United States, is it just a question of uh, getting the individual prepared for life outside the military, or is it are there still streams that they have set up in that military where they do give you opportunities to, to make that transition towards um, the private sector? I would have to say that they by and large, just have the tools available to them. Mm. And there might be a cultural difference that's probably the bigger thing uh, when you look at it that way. Um, That would be my assessment on it, for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's got to be exciting for you as well. I mean, it's daunting, I'm sure, but quite exciting as well that once you're done, there will be opportunities, I assume, for you in the private sector with this type of... uh, 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 knowledge and training that you've picked up, plus your practical experience uh, from the past, that it would lend itself well for, for a future employer? I honestly do think that it is a very unique and, by and large, an excellent pairing of both. And what Canadian for Veterans has done here is awesome. And the platforms that they use are actually fairly intuitive. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but they're kind of in a partnership with Cisco Mm -hmm. using their Netacad platform. Well, I want to thank you so much uh, for sharing your story with us today, your service to this country as well, Uh, and I wish you uh, well in your future endeavors. It sounds like you've got a, a bright career ahead of you, that's for sure. Thank you so much today. Thank you.
Signups to Elon Musk's flagship premium subscription service Twitter Blue were put on hold just days into its launch after its blue tick feature uh, was abused by impersonators on the platform. Since uh, Mr. Musk's $44 billion buyout of the social media company two weeks ago, the billionaire entrepreneur had ordered Twitter staff to work around the clock to roll out a new version of Twitter Blue for $7.99, which would allow users to pay to have the blue tick symbol on their account, which is only available to verified companies and politicians, celebrities, and journalists uh, prior to that. Now, after launching the service uh, on Wednesday, the platform became flooded by accounts attempting to impersonate well-known brands uh, and and figures. Uh, We've also learned yesterday Mr. Musk uh, uh, had an all-hands-on-deck meeting with its engineering staff at Twitter, and he added that bankruptcy was not out of the question. This is a man who bought this company, or at least took control of this company just two weeks ago. Joining me now to talk a little bit about Twitter is Andy Barrar, tech and digital lifestyle expert for HandyAndyMedia.com. Hello, Andy. Hi, Jazz. I thought we would only meet once a week for uh, Elon, <laughs> but uh, I think we should make this a regular segment at least twice a week. So uh, maybe we should touch a little bit on the uh, fake accounts just for a second. looks like there was a pharmaceutical company, Eli Lilly, that uh, I believe somebody uh, faked an account there, and that actually impacted their, um, I guess, uh, the value of the company when it comes to the stock market. For $8, an imposter has really hampered Eli Lilly by... So basically what happened was an imposter made a tweet that from Eli Lilly saying that insulin is now free. Everybody started liking, retweeting, and commenting on that, that tweet. The actual verified Eli Lilly com- um, Twitter handle had to come out and say that was actually um, not us. Somebody else is impersonating us. But it actually opened up a whole floodgate of a conversation of whether insulin should be free. Bernie Sanders even tweeted to Eli Lilly. Elon Musk replied back to that. And the stock price has dropped. So for $8, this imposter <laughs> has caused havoc on something Jazz we could have all predicted when he rolled out this uh, verification subscription service. You know, for $8, all of these trolls and imposters are just having a field day on Twitter. It's just like you can't keep up with all the new imposter verified accounts that are out there right now. Yeah, I mean, it, when, when Eli Lilly, obviously a pharmaceutical company, and, and as you said, uh, this imposter basically said, you know, free insulin or whatever it was. And was, they've lost nearly $20 billion in market cap. cap. That's like massive. For $8. That's, that's just it's... unbelievable. Not only that, Lockheed Martin, the, um, they, they make obviously weapons and stuff. Yeah. Somebody created a fake account for them and their handle, instead of Lockheed Martin, it was Lockheed Martini. But it looked <laughs> real enough. And they put out that they were going to suspend sales of, of weapons to Saudi Arabia unless they fixed the human rights um, you know, violations. And so again, People were, were tweeting that, liking it, not realizing that was an imposter account. And they have a really bad look right now. So it's there's just so many. Doug Ford has a, a, a parody account that's trending on Twitter as we speak. So Elon, this, there's no wonder that he suspended this and stopped from people from creating this. So if you do have a subscription service, you're still, you still have it, but they're going through and trying to wipe out all of these uh, impersonating accounts. And then he's, again, going to try to convince advertisers. Like what kind of advertiser, Jazz? Do you want your ad there with these imposter accounts underneath it? So he's got himself into a big 
you know, in big, big trouble, and I don't know how he's going to get himself out of this hole that he's dug in. Yeah, I mean, you've got lots of uh, well-known companies that are pausing their spending on Twitter. You've got General Motors, Carlsberg, General Mills, many other companies uh, as well. I mean, his conversation, uh, and this is a private conversation with staff, but obviously it's leaked to major news organizations, that that the company still uh, had a net negative cash flow of several billion dollars, and that bankruptcy was not out of the question. How does that happen just two weeks into purchasing uh, a company? It's because of the advertisers. 90% of the revenue on Twitter was coming through ads. And suddenly he just wants to just rip that carpet underneath and say, oh, we're going to go through a subscription service and we're going to roll it out in a week. Their chief um, compliance officer resigned. So now the engineers who are actually creating this new subscription service have to ensure that it meets the compliance for the FTC, FTC, which has also already said that they're looking closely at Twitter because of previous violations. So I, I'm not surprised that they had to suspend this subscription service. It's just how is he going to get himself out of this? And he actually spent the entire night yesterday at Twitter headquarters. And he has this um, – he, he does this. He did this at uh, Tesla as well where he would sleep under his desk. And all the engineers, as you get to the production line, you have to walk by him sleeping under his desk. That's a way that he tries to motivate him, people to, to join his, his cause and, you know, his goals, but I, you know, Twitter's a different company. But he's trying to create that culture that he has at Tesla and SpaceX, and he's trying to bring that in Twitter, and he's trying to do it like in a week, which is not really working well. Well, I, I understand the tech mantra of move quickly and break things, but we're not talking about a brand new company. We're not even talking about Tesla when he was starting it. I mean, maybe sleeping under your desk is endearing and inspires people when you're at a startup, but Twitter is not a startup, and it's too enmeshed in our culture, particularly among journalists and, and celebrities and those who are really hyper-engaged with current affairs. Uh, but to come in now, overpay for something, and someone said by $20 billion, thinks he's going to break things, and so magically a certain percentage of those folks are going to start paying for subscription services. I mean, I've been hearing such things as he wants to start a payment model. So, you you know, whatever payments you have, you go through Twitter and they take a 1% or 2% slice as a service charge, and that's where the dollars are going to come from. Is that, you think, perhaps his ultimate goal is to become a pseudo-payment system? I, I do think so. He's he's talked about this a lot uh, to internally to people, and he thought that Twitter would be that vehicle because they have so much, you know, so many people are addicted to Twitter. We use it all the time to talk, and and he thought that that by making a subscription model, and then from there he could get micro payments and and really make Twitter that place where you could do your shopping and and, and get all your information, pretty much a one stop shop, a, a super app, if you will, and. It's not going very well right now, but he's the type, you know, he's an engineer. So he's rolling up his sleeves. He's trying to make this work, but you need a team. You cannot run a social media company by yourself. And, you know, Jazz, I was thinking this morning, like Hollywood could not write a script like this. A billionaire buys a social media company and then it just becomes a dumpster fire overnight. And I'm just wondering how he's going to get himself out of this, because if he loses like the famous people, the celebrities, the the journalists, if they if they lose that check mark, which he says he wants to remove and wants people to pay for, if he loses that, they might leave Twitter altogether because there's just so many imposter accounts. There, 
I, I just don't see how he can get himself out of this hole. It's it's quite remarkable. Well, it's it's scary. It's amazing what ego and hubris will will get you. And and, and you listen to him the last couple of weeks. I just I personally just see an incredibly inept, smart man. He's just overreached, and it shows. And now he's trying to break things and move quickly. And uh, it's not the type of company that you can move quickly, but it's so ingrained into the culture. So uh, this is only week two. I can only imagine what next week will bring. So I promise you, we will be calling Andy. <laughs> to check up with you then thanks so much my friend my pleasure i think i might have to start a podcast just on this alone and <laughs> yeah. end the podcast when when twitter ends yeah. uh it's just amazing yeah <laughs> you should just have a picture of him with that head of lettuce and see which one lasts longer <laughs> you know what the exactly. <laughs> things are good andy thank you so much thanks Jess. The governor of the Bank of Canada warned yesterday that the high level of household debt in the country will be a vulnerability if the economy slows and house prices see a steeper decline than for a study. Uh, Tiff Macklin was speaking at the Public Policy Forum in Toronto and he was asked whether the central bank's campaign to raise interest rates and tackle high inflation will see an outsized impact on the country's housing sector. Uh, Mr. Macklin did identify the run-up in house prices over COVID-19, the pandemic, and the big mortgages Canadians took out to enter the market over the time uh, as a risk to the bank, uh, as, as a risk the bank is watching very closely. He said, quote, if the economy were to slow sharply, that vulnerability could accelerate the downturn. Joining me now to talk a little bit about uh, low unemployment uh, and, and of course, uh, feeding inflation and, of course, house prices as well, is Michael Levy, CKW's business analyst. Michael, thank you for joining us. Hi, Jazz. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, Mr. Macklin's um, speech the other day at the Public Policy Forum in Toronto, first and foremost. Uh, if you were in his shoes, what would you be watching? I'd be watching unemployment, employment. I think that's one of the key key signposts of where we're going. Um, Macklem says that we have to rebalance the labor market. It's going to be a very difficult adjustment for Canadians, but they have to do this as the best way possible for for Canadian businesses and workers because they've got to bring that inflation rate down. And when you see unemployment continuing near record lows and you see the big uh, employment numbers the beginning of uh, this month or earlier this month when Canada surprisingly uh, just added so many what a hundred and nine five or seven or nine thousand new jobs um, that actually blew most people away because the number they expected was maybe a tenth of that and uh, he's quite concerned so his statement uh, about the labor market uh, being very indicative of uh, taking the temperature of what's going on with inflation. So expect that uh, that the interest rates are going to go higher. Expect that it's going to affect employment. He wants to see more unemployment, not because he's a sadist or anything, Jazz, yeah. but he, we've got to see it. We've got to see it to slow down the economy and to slow down demand. And that's the direction in which he's going. Uh, what role will Christmas play in all this? Is, I mean, I was walking, I left the, the office, um, well, yesterday, and uh, I saw a very busy downtown. More traffic than normal. Uh, restaurants appeared to be full as I walked by them. I was walking to my car. You know, it's Christmas time or close to Christmas time. People already started shopping. It was busy. Like the city was humming and maybe it was just my walk last night. I don't know. But I sort of said to myself, I said, where's the slowing economy? Where's the inflation that's supposed to be impacting people looking around? 
things are busy, Michael, and I worry a little bit when, when people are still going to be spending. Well, I do too, but uh, uh, all indications are by surveys that have been taken that people are going to spend anywhere between 15 and 17% less than they did last Christmas. And that usually is an increasing number, even if it's by 1% or 2 or 5%. Mm. But people are indicating they are going to spend less. And there's a second uh, a fact out there, which probably is not widely recognized, is that the stores are starting their sales early. They are cutting prices. I, I, I saw some Best Buy prices indicating that they're starting right now and there's other retailers that are doing the same thing. So people are taking advantage of these lower prices now because they want to be able to get their choice of what they're going to buy, but in no small way, it's because it's very competitive out there. Yeah, we, we did have some retail uh, analysts on, uh, well, about a month ago, saying that uh, when there was a, uh, you know, a supply chain issue, a lot of uh, stores bought extra uh, a product, and now a lot of it is arriving uh, as they get through the supply chain challenges. So they actually have excess stock, and so you're seeing a lot more when it comes to sales and pretty good sales, particularly across the border. Maybe that's why the border lineups are so long. I don't know, but as as we get closer to Black Friday, you're probably going to see even more sales um, than normal. I'm very curious in regards to um, interest rates. How big of a rate hike do you expect to see in December? Uh, I expect a half of one percent. Um, I think he's made that clear. One thing about Tiff Macklem is that he does. Uh, uh, let you know what's coming. He telegraphs what's coming, unlike Jerome Powell in the United States um, at the U.S. Federal Reserve. Reserve, you sort of got a guess. With Macklem, there's no guessing. So what I'm looking at here, interest rates are going to go up, I think, in the end game, the same amount. It's going to take longer to get there because he's going to do uh, lower hikes in rates. So maybe 50 basis points coming up in December. Mm-hmm. And then if inflation continues to ease a little bit like it did in September and things cool down a little bit, maybe 25 basis points the next time. But then we could see a string of quarter percent interest rates increases all the way through 2022. I can tell you that Macklem's plan is to is to break the back of inflation and he's put it right out there and we are going to feel the brunt of it. There's just no doubt about that. We're talking a little bit about um, interest rates uh, and those are on, who, who obviously have uh, variable rate mortgages. I was looking at one number, but 125,000 out of the 310,000 variable rate mortgage holders at RBC. Uh, I'm, I'm, my understanding is they've reached or near their trigger point. When you hear uh, you know, stats like that, is that concerning for you? Yeah, it, it very much is concerning because um, in some cases, people are going to see even in the variables, having to pay double. Now, I know with fixed rates, fixed rates have gone up like three or four times. A a fixed five-year now can be up over 6%, where it was down uh, uh, basically well under 2%. But in in the variable rates, they track the prime rate, and um, that rate has gone up. So, uh, you know, it it is quite concerning for people because – uh, it's far more than I think most people planned on spending on their variable rate mortgages. And that just brings the question right now, do you want to switch to a fixed rate and lock yourself in? And people that I've spoken to who have variable rates say no way because their variable rate is still 
considerably less than the five-year fix. Mm -hmm. When you say that interest rates will continue to edge upwards, uh, you know, I'm not saying collapse or anything like that, but I mean, how much more can this market like Vancouver or even Toronto for that matter uh, handle in regards to these rates going up and the impact it'll eventually have on housing? It's going to have a big impact on housing because if you notice the big developers right now, and I'm uh, painting with a broad brush here, I'm not naming any or, or saying everybody's in the same boat, but those who have uh, uh, projects on the go are not selling right now because the interest rates are too high, the mortgage rates are too high. And where a year ago they were selling out, now they're not. So uh, it, it's very uh, uh, stressful for developers, for those who want to build, because the people who are buying have to finance and they can't afford the mortgages at this rate So uh, or, or financing at this rate. So we may have a moratorium here. Uh, we, we may have a, a, a time when things are just going to slow down almost to a crawl. But you're talking about higher rates today, Jazz. Uh, I'm this old that 1980 to 82, <laughs> uh, my mortgage was 16%. Couldn't afford it, but that's what the mortgage was. But same as I said earlier, the bank did not want to own my house. Well, if we're not building, our building is just down to a trickle uh, and purchases are, are the same, uh, yet we are about to, we're hitting about 440, 460,000 immigrants coming to Canada. Our goal is to have half a million by 2025, I believe, or 2024, in that range. So we're anywhere from 460 to half a million immigrants coming to this country. I think last year we had 100,000 people move to BC. At what point um, does the do the numbers not work? we got people moving here, yet we're not building housing or very little housing. Like something's, the rubber's got to hit the road somewhere here. It does, and um, maybe there will be a light at the end of the tunnel where that light isn't another train coming towards you, but uh, it is going to slow down. It has to slow down. There's nowhere to put these people. I mean, you can see the housing crisis right now, never mind adding half a million a year in round figures. Uh, It it just can't work, Jazz, because there is no place to put them. So um, I I try very hard not to get political when we're speaking about the economy and speaking about what's going on now. But I think the politicians have to take a very hard look at the bottom line of this and not say, oh, we're going to bring in half a million because we need the labor force. Of course we do, but there's everything else that goes with it. And those people have to be able to live, thrive and survive here. You raise a very good point because, you know, you add in inflation at this point and hopefully it does stop start to drop. But you add in the, the, the pain that's going to that is coming in regards to higher interest rates, uh, people struggling to pay uh, those uh, mortgages, the inability to get into the market because of higher rates. Uh, I'm often, uh, you know, beyond the economic question. I know you don't want to get political here, but there are going to be political repercussions of this. Um, you know, most Canadians, I think the rates would go up this year or the bulk of it. But even the quarter point increase, the quarter point increase over two or three or four or six months, that all adds up, and somewhere along the way, there's going to be some pushback, one assumes, from the public as well, saying, that's enough, I can't handle this anymore. Um, you know, speaking politically, and I will here, that's what's going on in the U.S., is this last midterm election, one of the main, main uh, uh, things they were fighting over was inflation, and the inflation that's been brought on by the mismanagement of government 
in the funds that they released to individuals that had nothing to do with COVID. And the same thing happened in Canada. There were teenagers that were being paid. There were young adults that were being paid that weren't impacted. But the government, in order to try and solve the problem of COVID and people not having their jobs and at home and struggling, I think that they washed over so many more people who didn't have these problems. And the amount of money that was spent that, that, that went into bank accounts, into uh, people purchasing, people spending that money, and then you have a supply chain problem, drove up inflation. So the politicians right now and going forward are going to have to wear this and they're going to have to come up with some sort of a solution. I don't know what it's going to be, but it can't continue to be spend, spend, spend. There is going to be a time when there's going to be a reckoning, and it could be coming sooner than later. I just want to get uh, my final question to you. When you said there was 108,000 new jobs that were added in October, we actually need to show very little job growth at this point, is what you're saying, because of inflation. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I, I just, you know, th- this is going to peel off. We have to see the job market cool down. And so full circle to what we've been talking about, Tiff Macklin is talking about exactly the same thing. He's putting it out there. We have to see, see a cooling of the labor market. Well, it is uh, <laughs> very interesting times, my friend, and challenging ones for Canadians as well. I really appreciate you making time today. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. We'll ch- uh, chat very soon. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Jazz. Bye-bye now. Well, the Vancouver-based brand Herschel uh, is hosting its first-ever warehouse sale at Canada Place right now, where you can find backpacks, luggage, and travel accessories up to 75% off. Now, the sale kicked off to the public yesterday morning, and many lined up bright and early to score a deal before the doors opened at 9 a.m. Our show producer, Stephen Chang, dropped by the lineup today. He joins us now to give us an update on what he saw and heard. Hi, Stephen. Hello, Jazz. So, uh, I was just Thinking about uh, warehouse sales, I know Aritzia, I think, had one in September, Mm -hmm. and uh, they had uh, big lineups as well with queues stretched all the way to Harbour Green Park uh, near the Vancouver Convention Centre. We do love our warehouse sales. I remember years ago, uh, Lululemon used to have them, and just big lineups, and there were big savings uh, as well. Uh, You went and chatted with some of the folks in lineup today? I did, yeah. So, I mean, one thing that Vancouverites love the most is great deals, and that's exactly what's happening this weekend uh, with Herschel over at Canada Place. So I decided to go down and uh, just chat with some of the people who were there and uh, see what they're up to, how long they lined up for. Take a listen. How long did you line up here for? Um, We've been here since 9, so three hours. Uh, We've been in line since 9.30, so it is, what, two and a half hours, two hours, 40 minutes? Uh, Two hours and 15 minutes. So we got here at 8 a.m. and we didn't get in until around 10 30 ish okay so yeah like two and a half hours two and a half hours and then getting inside and kind of getting in was like almost like 11 ish almost three hours if anything uh, almost an hour because we came around like around 8 30 and people already started in queue around 6 30 so okay. we waited like when the sale is starting we are in around 10 30 so almost one and one point half point five hour it's like an hour to like two hours maybe. Okay. Yeah. I see you guys just got here. Uh, yeah. How long do you think it's going to take for you to get to the very front of the line? 
Well, we heard yesterday it was three hours to get in, so I'm gonna anticipate three hours again. So you're hoping to get in by 3 p.m. today? We better. <laughs> what are you hoping to get from this warehouse sale? Whatever my daughter wants. <laughs> I don't know, toques, backpack, uh, carry-on luggage. <laughs> and for me, the Ryan, like the Ryan tote, or like the, what is it called? Any fanny packs? Yeah, fanny packs even, yeah. My daughter wants a backpack, so. Oh, okay. we're here for school. Uh, it was really good deals actually. We are a bit disappointed because some carry and checkout luggages, those are out of stock. Otherwise, there are like very good varieties, especially some travel accessories and backpacks. Yeah, I, I really recommend people can come. How is it inside the venue itself? It's chaotic. There's bags everywhere where they shouldn't be. People are sitting on the floor going through their halls. People are grabbing totes off of totes and it's it's actually just chaotic. When you went in, how was the sale inside? How were the deals? Did you have good deals? Yeah, they're pretty good deals. Actually, we were looking for like luggage, but they were sold out. The sales are amazing, actually. Um, like Christmas shopping early, such a gift. I My haul was like 240. Mine was 130. Yeah. yeah. So it's good. It's, yeah. it's really good. Like, you know, these backpacks, like the 25 liter ones, they're usually 140 and you get them for $50, which right. is insane. Yeah. Okay, and two hours, three hours um, for these deals. Do you think it's worth it? And would you recommend other people do it? Okay, so previously means RTGR sale was there around like one, one and a half uh, month ago. People were very disappointed. But yesterday I was checked some couple of news and articles. I realized that there is uh, some good deals. And uh, yeah, means she want to do some, means my wife want to do some shopping. So I realized that, okay, let me just check it over here. So first time I visited warehouse sale like this, and I am very happy actually. No, I would not do it. I mean, people do it. People have been here since 4.30. If you're someone who really wants to plan Christmas gifts early so you don't have to pay like an insane amount for, for gifts, then I say, yeah, it's worth it because then you kind of just get all your shopping done and don't have to think about during the crazy Christmas season. But would I do this again? Probably not. <laughs> Probably Honestly, not. But if I were to get like gifts for others, then maybe. I think if you have like company, it should be okay. But if you're just by yourself for three hours, yeah, no. <laughs> it's better to be with someone than rather just waiting in line for like however many hours. <laughs> three hours. Three I, hours, Jazz. I, I couldn't do that for a nap sack. How about you? Uh, um, three hours is way too long for me. That's that's way too long. So I I really commend the people who are lining up in that warehouse sale today because when I walked over, I saw the line just snaking all around Canada Place along the water. Um, the tip of the line was right outside Club 16 over there at the time. So maybe that's it got Trevor, longer. Oh, the Trevor Linden gym. The Trevor Linden gym. Wow, that's, right. that's massive. That's massive. It, it went all the way around. So. I don't oh, know. Wow. Thank God it wasn't raining. But it was, so, is it the is it the sort of the traditional uh, knapsacks they went on, but the backpacks that obviously Herschel is known for, or was it? What's the big draw? So the thing about uh, Herschel, right? We know they sell backpacks, jackets, hoodies, um, travel accessories, and all that stuff. The one thing that I got from a lot of the respondents who I interviewed is that they were mostly there for the luggages, the carry-ons, the check-ins. Because if you look at retail jazz, those luggages cost about over 200 bucks at the very least 150 but then in this warehouse sale people were able to get them for at least 80 dollars 90 dollars so that was one of the things that sold out right away when uh, people started walking in so by around <laughs> like i got there around 11 30 or 12 and they were basically gone 
they were wow. gone. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I'm going to bring our technical producer, Ryan Lee Hall, in uh, because we were talking a little bit. <laughs> bit about these knapsacks and they are really na- nice i think one of our colleagues had one here at work that they they love it they carry it around and then of course we were talking about this and ryan lee hall our technical producer overheard the, us and ryan i just share with the, our audience oh, uh oh. about your knapsack uh, how long have you had it i have had my uh, backpack since i was 13 years old so 2006 wow. is when i got it grade eight grade eight and i've used it all the way up until present day i bring it here every day to work yeah. Um, I was initially maybe a few months ago kind of in the market for a new one. I, I bought one and I realized mine's bigger. Oh, size-wise. That, yeah, size-wise. I could fit more stuff in mine and like three hours for a, back, for a backpack? <laughs> like I don't see. Like, what what kind broke, is it? What kind of backpack? I have a Nike one. Just a, a Nike Just one. regular Nike one. Bought it from Bentley, I believe. Yeah. Central City Mall. What'd you pay? Oh, I don't remember now. I didn't pay for it. My mom paid for it. I was 13 years old. You're 13 years old. (laughs) But still, with inflation, you got a great deal either Oh, yeah, probably, probably. (laughs) I had a Roots one before that. used it for about two weeks, and it broke within the first two weeks. And this Nike one's lasted me from 2006 to 2022. The only thing wrong with it, I would say, is one of the zippers is kind of half broken. But that happened maybe like four years ago and I was out in the really cold weather and it just kind of snapped. But otherwise, it works. We're we're a disposable society. So when you hear somebody's had a product around since 2006, you said? 2006. There you go. 13 years old and you're 29 now? I am. 29. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, uh, Stephen, how long does this sale last? Was it just for today or this weekend too? Whole weekend. Whole Whole weekend. Whole and they're, they're going to restock uh, a lot of the stuff that's sold? Yeah, normally they restock like every day or every morning. Uh, yeah. The best time to go was probably the middle of the day or maybe even at the last couple of days, maybe even the last day, just so the line's probably shorter and most people are already gone the last uh, two days. So Yeah, so if you like long lineups... And knapsacks or luggage. It. Well, I just wait. Just honestly wait. <laughs> well, it's on this weekend, so there you go. Hey, welcome back to the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Well, I want to let you know the National Toy Hall of Fame's new honorees include an object dating to ancient times, a line of muscle-bound action figures, and an art set whose medium is colorful pegs. The Hall uh, this week announced the top, yes, the spinning top, Masters of the Universe and Light Bright as this year's inductees. The trio uh, was chosen from a field of 12 finalists that included Bingo, uh, Nerf, the Piñata, Phase 10, Pound Puppies, and the Spirograph, among many toys uh, that were uh, nominees for the National Toy Hall of Fame. The, the, the uh, Hall of Fame inducts a new class of toys each year in a ceremony at the Strong Museum at Rochester, New York, where the hall uh, is located. Now, and specifically to the spinning top, it earned a place by being a childhood staple of cultures in Asia, Europe, the Americas, and Australia, uh, according to the hall, which also noted that the ancient Greek pottery shows people playing with the twirling uh, objects uh, as well. We all know, of course, uh, of the others, masters of the universe, figures uh, that uh, I certainly remember when I was growing up as well, and Light Bright um, uh, as well. Uh, joining me now, of course, is our technical producer and producer of the show, Ryan Lee Hall and Stephen Chang. We were talking about this earlier today. wanted to go through, because there is a bit of a generational difference in regards to what was their sort of staple toy or the toy they liked the most growing up. Steven, let me start with you first and foremost. I know you actually have action figures at your desk as well. You're a huge Marvel fan, and I know you are. But <laughs> That's right. But your, your toy that you loved the most as a kid. 
Oh my God, there's so much to pick from, Jazz. Um, you know what? If I were to pick one, I'm not going to pick a specific toy, but a specific line, rather. Um, it's one of the first toy lines I got as a kid and I grew up with. Uh, I used to collect the um, 90s X-Men action figures. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah so yeah. those were like my thing growing up, and that's what got me into a superhero everything. Movies, cartoons, books, everything. Wow, and even now, X-Men, is that one of your favorite sort of uh, action action movie? Yeah, I love the X-Men franchise, and I love the 90s cartoon. So um, that's what really got me into Marvel. That's why I keep bothering you about it here in the <laughs> office. Um, and you see my desk. So I, I do collect. I'm still a big boy who loves his toys, so I still collect to this day. I mainly collect um, Marvel, DC, and like wrestling figures too. Yeah. But so that's kind of the that's kind of what I generally had as a kid, and I loved the X Men toy line as, uh, when I was younger. So. Now you have some here at your desk that I had mentioned. Do you keep some at home, like on display? Oh, oh, uh, let's not talk about the ones at home. <laughs> they, there's there's way <laughs> too much to count. There's really it's concerning. I think I have a problem, Jazz. How many? Like, just give me a figure. Come on, I want to know. Um. Oh God! Just tell three, me three digits. I'm gonna say three digits. No way. I, I have a lot, Jazz. I, I have a lot. Like I said, it's a financial burden that I have, but I love it. Like you have over a hundred action figures at home? I have tons. <laughs> Are they all on display? Uh no, because I'm in the ver I'm in the process of moving right now, so they're yeah. still kind of boxed, but once we get moving, um I'm gonna have them all up in display in uh, different glass cases. Uh, Ikea is going to have a lot of my money for that. So You know what? When you do that, I want you to send me a picture. Oh. I definitely want to see that. I you, really you're going to get it. pictures at like 3 in the morning. <laughs> no, I do want to see that. That is great. Ryan, how about you? I'm going to assume you do not have no. 100 action no, figures I don't. at home. I what? don't. Maybe 100 jerseys. Yeah, I can see I don't that. About, don't know about action figures. <laughs> That's that was, true. That wasn't really my thing. Hey, we figures. all have our vices, right? We so do. there you go. Yeah, yeah. So what was your toy growing up? You know, I I don't really know if I really have a favorite. There was a lot of things, you know, when I was really little, I had my Tickle Me Elmo. Okay. That was amazing when it first yeah. came out. I had a little lawnmower. That was great there as well. Uh, what did I play with the most growing up? The the original PlayStation, maybe? Okay, you're already know, Is that a the, toy? Yeah, uh, probably not. I was pretty simple. I all I needed was like a ball, and I was good. You're good. I just that's a good thing. Throw that against the wall, against the couch. Yeah, yeah. Play yeah. soccer in the house. I broke a lot of lights and yeah, yeah. Hit so a lot of picture frames into and, sports and all that sort oh, of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm like you. I was into sports a lot, particularly basketball, but you know, hockey and baseball, everything really. Uh, but my favorite toy, I would say, uh, and I'm I'm a Gen Xer, so. Uh, a different era, but it would be the Hot Wheel tracks. I don't know if you guys, if you Google it. Just I did have Hot Wheels. They're Hot still Wheel around. tracks, 1980s, and they had these orange tracks. Oh, if yeah. If you ever Google it, you'll see it. And I mean, they're not fancy, but I tell you, when I got it, and I don't know how old I was at the time, but it was amazing. I love those tracks. Uh, and I think that was probably my favorite toy. So there you go. It's a little different. It's not as fancy as they are these days, I'll tell you that much, in regards <laughs> to what you can do with them. But I will take that Hot Wheels track any day with the orange track, that's for sure. Uh, so, Stephen, you're going to promise once you get all, once you move and you get moved in, you're going to send me pictures of, of your 100-plus action figures at home. I mean, if you want a picture of my previous display now, I can send it to you literally at this moment. Please do. Okay. I would love... I do, I do want to see that. <laughs> Ryan, Stephen, thank you. Thank you, Jess. No problem. Lots going on this week in popular culture. We've had another week of opinions, experts, open line wisdom, and hot takes. It's that time to bring together our dynamic duo to help explain the week that was. It's time for The Wrap. 
Goodbye now. It's over. That's all. Thank you. All right. That's a wrap. It's Friday, and this is the wrap on the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Thank God it's. This week, we look at Vancouverites and their fascination with warehouse sales. And, of course, we ask our rap panel, what childhood toy would they induct into the Toy Hall of Fame? Joining us today is Leah Halive, TV reporter and radio host, and Sarah Daniels, who's a real estate agent, agent in South Surrey. She's also an author and broadcaster as well. Leah and Sarah, welcome. Hey, guys. I'm doing well. Great to hear your voices. Well, earlier uh, in the show, uh, our producer, Stephen uh, Cheng, uh, went to uh, the convention center where Aritz, sorry, Herschel is hosting a sale uh, at Canada Place. They're selling backpacks, uh, luggage and travel accessories up to 75% off. Uh, he was telling us that the lineups are so long, it's a three-hour wait just to get in. He spoke to some folks outside. God. Take a listen. So we got here at 8 a.m. and we didn't get in until around 10.30ish. Almost three hours, <laughs> if anything. How is it inside the venue itself? It's chaotic. There's bags everywhere where they shouldn't be. People are sitting on the floor going through their halls. People are grabbing totes off of totes and it's, it's actually just chaotic. How was the sale inside? How were the deals? Did you have good deals? The sales are amazing, actually. Um, these backpacks... Like the 25 liter ones, they're usually 140 and you get them for $50, which right. is insane. So there you go. The sales are very good. Now, of course, this happens uh, just a, well, I guess a, um, a couple of months after the Aritzia sale. That was in September here at the convention center as well. Uh, there, three-hour wait uh, line, lineups as well. And I recall a few years ago, Lululemon used to do the same thing. So just uh, super, super popular. Leah, let me get, go to you first. Have you gone to any of these warehouse sales before in the past? Okay, so I, I have for the Lululemon one, yes. <laughs> and how was <laughs> it? That I have. It was, you know what, I mean, by the time I got in, there was all pick through, you know? Oh. So, like, what I was looking for wasn't there. But, I mean, I definitely wouldn't go for backpacks and luggage. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> definitely for Jimmy Choo shoes or coach handbags, I'm in. I'm totally in. Sarah, <laughs> but not for backpacks. Would any warehouse sale entice you to come in from South Surrey Park and wait because the deals are too good. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Is, nope. I actually saw the email that said this is what we were discussing. I was skimming through it, and I thought it said Herschel Walker. And I'm thinking, <laughs> why are we discussing you Herschel got, Walker in a warehouse? And then I realized Herschel Warehouse. So, you know, I'm clearly not altogether there this morning, but that's okay. Um, would I drag my sorry hiney all the way in from South Surrey to buy luggage? That's no. never going to happen. I will sit no. from the comfort of my couch and pull out my iPad and order online. I am not staying in line for three hours for anything. You can't make me. I won't do it. It's not happening. <laughs> You've got to stop watching <laughs> CNN. <laughs> way too much. Way too much of a focus know, on American politics, especially it, this week. It is, my, it is my worst nightmare. Yes, absolutely. Well, so Leah, <laughs> like, do we need, I mean, yeah. is it just the, the, the deal is so important that we're willing to wait? I mean, is it just a question of as you get older, maybe you go, you know what, that, that that's, time has passed. I do not have the patience for it anymore. Well, I mean, for me, like, if it's something that I really like, then I will do it. But, I mean, not for backpacks and luggage. There's just no way I'm going to wait in the lineup for that. 
But like I said, for like other things that I like, I will do it if it's a good sale. But if it's like twenty percent, like twenty percent off or something like that, no way. But yeah. if it's maybe fifty, you know, sixty, then I could possibly do it. But I mean, I'd wait in line for a couple hours, and then if I wasn't getting in, I'd leave because it's too cold. Is <laughs> too I've cold. actually, got, I've actually got a girlfriend who, because uh, because of the work she does and stuff, she will go to. She's got friends in France. She will go to Paris. Like literally, she'll fly, fly over Christmas Day, see her friends and everything. Uh-huh. But all the you know the big designers that are in Paris. So you got the Pradas, and well, that's Italian. But all those stores, like all that kind of stuff, Louis, Louis Vuitton, all that. In those cities, they actually have sales where stuff is marked down to like you know they're marked down fifty to eighty percent. Wow! So she yeah. goes over there. And buys, you know, luxury goods that we can't even get in Canada because just because our market is so small, we don't end up with that kind of distribution here. Yeah. And she gets stuff that nobody. Now that I can get behind. I will get on a plane <laughs> and go to Paris, France and stay with friends and shop the sales in, in Paris. I will do that. Okay. I'm not standing in line <laughs> for three it. hours for a backpack. That it, is not happening. Yeah, it is. It okay. is an, it, it's a good point because I got a friend in Dubai. He told me this a couple months ago that, that these, they have these people who shop for you in Dubai because, uh, you know, low cost and no tax whatsoever. And these people's sole job is to shop for people and then they fly to other cities in the Middle East or to Europe to to to, to bring the clothes to the buyer. So he tells wow. me that it's a weekly thing. Well, these folks will do the shopping, jump on a plane. I'm taking off to Istanbul to drop off the, the clothes what? to Turkey or to places in London. And yeah. these people do it so often that they, they have frequent flyer miles. So they'll fly business class <laughs> just wow. to drop off purses and whatever uh, high-end stuff. But that's a full-time job in Dubai for some folks. I don't know how you, how you fall into wow. that I know, right? But that's, he was telling me this because this is what they do. He goes, he's sitting next to one. That's what they do. They just load it all up and go, and, and it's still somehow cheaper for people, I guess. Or maybe it saves them. There, and right? I could see that. Like, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying is I would go to Paris, you know, and like fly. If you, Christmas Day flights are usually the cheapest. Go there, stay yeah. with friends, buy that kind of stuff for sure. I, I would be all over that because, on top of which, you're going to Paris. So, you know, <laughs> but and it's cheaper than buying it here. Going downtown, finding parking, coming back and seeing if my car has or has not been broken into. Also, I can buy a knapsack. It's just not really high on my list of things to do. Is the backpack luggage thing for me? I was like, really? I'm not yeah. going to wait three hours yeah. for that. I'm sorry. I guess the luggage <laughs> the luggage is supposed to be two fifty, three, four hundred dollars You can get it for like $80 or something like that. So it is a deal. Okay, but, but really? Three hours. No, just think about it. Know. The lineup from the convention the center. and then go to Paris. All the way down okay. around the convention center. <laughs> to uh, Trevor Linden's gym there, uh, the Fitness 16, whatever he has, right? It goes all right the way now. down. So three, four hours waiting oh for, my God. For, no. for, a, for a carry-on. But some and people... There's, and there's the thing for me, right? I would have to park for a, park a car yeah. for four or four, five hours, and the cost mm-hmm. of the parking would negate all you know, gains It'd that I would get bucks. for sale. Yeah, and then, yeah. and then there's no guarantee that when I get in there, there's just nothing but crap left, right? So, I think we're just getting old and grumpy. Maybe that's it. <laughs> All right, coming up next, next we ask our rap panel, what childhood toy would they want to induct into the Toy Hall of Fame? That's next on the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Hey, welcome back to the Jazz Joe Hall Show. If you're just joining us now, we are speaking to our rap panel, Leah Halive and Sarah Daniels. Well, the National Toy Hall of Fame's new honorees include an object dating to ancient times, a line of muscle-bound action figures, and an art set 
whose medium is colorful pegs. The hall this week announced that the the top, yes, the simple top, uh, Masters of the Universe and Light Brights, as this year's inductees, the trio was chosen from a field of 12 finalists. They chose the spinning top because it had earned a place being a childhood staple for cultures in Asia to Europe, America and Australia and has been used as far back as ancient Greek, Greek times. The Masters of the Universe, of course, grew in popularity in the 1980s when the cartoon series He-Man Master of the Universe was on the air. And, of course, Hasbro's Lightbrite uh, was inducted because it's maintained its popularity for more than 50 years. After being introduced in 1966, it was marked, uh, marketed as a magic light box, which the, the toy is supposed to encourage kids to create glowing pictures by pushing colorful pegs into an illuminated black background. Here's a 1970s commercial for Lightbrite. Light Bright, the toy that lets you create beautiful pictures with light. Light Bright, can be Work with colorful pegs that glow with light, light bulb not included. Make people, animals, things, and with refills, Bugs Bunny or Bozo the Clown. Light Bright, You can make lots of pretty pictures with Light Bright from Hasbro. Even those ads are quite quaint, aren't they, from the 1970s and 80s? Leah, let me go to you first. Was there a particular toy? It's already got you giggling. I can hear you. I was thinking kids today could not handle life right. Could they with their attention spans? Not a chance. Not a chance. Is that all you got for me, Dad? Give me a break. You've already seen my son. (laughs) Was there a particular toy that you were very fond of when you were growing up? Yeah. Okay. So it was like the late 80s. I was little and it was the Cabbage Patch doll. Oh, yes. story about it and my mom I'm sure she's listening I'm sorry mom she tried to find me a cabbage patch doll amazingly she found one but it had short hair it has short blonde hair and I was so devastated she didn't have long hair so I I went and grabbed my mom's yarn she had this yellow yarn and I cut pieces and I looped the yarn through all the looped holes of her hair to make her have long hair. That's oh, how wow. <laughs> you really wanted long hair, didn't you? Holy yeah, cow. I was very upset. I'm I remember long. because they were like, they were pushing and shoving. Uh, people had to get to store. Or like, that, it was it was like a football yeah, game when they opened like the doors, the right? early 80s when they first came out, right? When yeah. they were like craziness yeah i, I heard stories but they, yeah my it mom was, was so devastated. <laughs> it was it was a lot of pushing and shoving and people not being very polite i tell you that much for those dolls huh? <laughs> for um, sarah sarah how about you is there a particular toy you were fond of growing up i'm devastated to know that she was getting a cabbage patch doll when i was in my mid <laughs> so and i'm that's that's the part that lost me but that, no i I loved reading. So I like I used to love reading the Nancy Drew books. My grandmother used uh-huh. to give me a book for by Christmas. That was like a big thing for me. Toy toys and so I do remember Light Bright. I remember that commercial. I was actually singing along quietly. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Um I remember Twister being a big thing. Oh yes. Um, it was all those kind of interactive games, but I mean the the games that I remember probably most playing or like that I, I mean I had a I I wanted a I remember wanting a, a talking Barbie and my mom would not get me a talking Barbie because she said it would oh. it would stunt my creativity. She said <laughs> you can make you know well it's basically like if it's all it's saying is like let's go buy a dress. I don't think that was really you know the the, the, <laughs> the thing that she wanted me to hear from this little plastic anatomically uncorrect doll. So that was I love my Barbies. Uh, I used to cut their hair off, so you would have I, I would have had to have called you to have like give them a weave. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, I yeah, my mom had to get me new Barbies because I cut all their hairs all the time. Yeah, <laughs> they were going. They're going, to, they're, like, they're going through risk, a phase. I, I guess. Say, I would say Risk, the board game Risk. I always loved that, as yeah. well as and Trivial Pursuit. But those were from like you know my late teens, early twenties. So I don't know childhood games. I was I was like or toys or stuff. I mean, I think every kid had Barbies. I'd probably have to say, you know, like things like White Light Brighter or or. Or like the Spirograph. What was that thing that you would make the etch a sketch? Etch, not etch a sketch, but just something called Spirograph. And it was you would oh, yes. make. You remember you could like put the pencil in or whatever the color, and you'd go around in the, and it yes. would make these patterns. And that was really cool. I always loved drawing. I remember doodle art was a big thing too. Yeah. Those posters that would come with all the crayons, and you could color that kind of stuff in. The Spirograph. Yeah, I, the Spirograph was one of the twelve <laughs> finalists. Didn't make it this year, oh, but okay. uh, maybe next year. Well, there you go. I, I think well, Cabbage I, Patch made it, right? Oh, yeah, I and, uh, I've, and not this year, but maybe they, they may have been oh. nominated before. But I just um, I don't know what they're going to say. Kids of this age are going to say beyond PS Five and Xbox. I yeah, really don't like, know what, what are they, they going to have. What are they going to induct exactly? Uh, I don't what, know. What about you, Jazz? Something what, where I can oh, blow your head off with. That's mine would be the Hot Wheels track uh, in the late seventies, early eighties. The orange one. Yes, yes, Claude those are like... Bales. there you go. And Tonka They're still trucks. popular. Like Tonka yes. was the big Yes, Tonka they are. The Absolutely. And Lego and all that good yes, stuff. Yes, like I said, I'm not sure what kids are going to be talking about 20 years from now, because I see nothing but PS5 <laughs> and Xbox. Laser On, beams. That's right. On that <laughs> note, ladies, thank you so much. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. You, you too. guys too. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.